You're listening to The Current Reality Podcast, where we talk about staying anchored in biblical reality within the current of modern culture. We are your hosts. I'm Michael Clary, and with me is Wade Thomas. We're both on staff at Christ the King Church in Cincinnati, Ohio, which makes this podcast possible. And if you'd like to ask a question or give us some feedback, you can feel free to reach out to us at currentrealitypodcast at gmail.com, currentrealitypodcast at gmail.com. We answer questions at the end of every episode. Actually, do we have a listener question for today, Wade, or did we, did we forget we to do that? We don't, but I can text a few people while we record, <laughs> and we can have one. All right, well, well, maybe we'll have a uh, listener question at the end of this episode. Um, so, but... but uh, Today's episode, um, I'm excited about it. It is how femininity adorns the world, and um, I'm seeing Wade frantically text with his thumbs over there. So Please, I should... I'm not frantically. Come on, look got... at my face. Does this look frantic? Well, I mean, you're typing really fast on your phone, so I figure that you're because I'm a fast texter. But uh... could you, if I were to like kick it over to you? Could you continue typing dude, while doing it? Dude, I can multitask. All right, so wait, I'll kick it over to you to get us going. What you got for us today? All right, hang on one second. I'm texting. <laughs> uh, um, okay, so our episode today is How Femininity Adorns the World. It kind of corresponds to we did a mas- How Masculinity Saves the World. So the overarching theme of both episodes, and really of a lot of... Uh, I mean, Michael's got a comic book coming out that, that talks Stop about Stop calling this. it a comic Sorry, book. Sorry, Michael's got a... Uh, Graphic novel. It's it's not a graphic novel. Michael's got a real book. It real is book. a it's very like actual, serious. It is uh, best selling. I'll be legit and I'll say I've read most, if not all, of it, and it's it is absolutely worth uh, buying. <laughs> so you should you should get it, and it's I, I support it wholeheartedly. But one of the overarching themes of that book, and uh, I guess you could say of our ministry. I mean, we're not like co pastors or anything, but we we work together closely, and we've we've you know, known each other a while in, in 2023 America. And as we have kind of raised children ourselves and fought against, uh, the sins of our day, one of the things that we have, uh, felt compelled by God and scripture to hold up as a good is the goodness of masculinity and the goodness of femininity. It is good for women to be feminine. And it's good that women exist as feminine beings, eternally feminine beings. They will not be androgynous in the new heavens and new earth. Right. And it's good that, men exist as masculine beings and that we should order our lives and our speech and our vocations and our everything in alignment with those good and beautiful things that God has made. They're not like ancillary, like God made a really beautiful world and then said, oh, you know, I'll make one of these things have one kind of genitals and the other have another. Right. It's like it conforms to his good design for the world. And we call it household discipleship. Yes. In the church, which kind of indicates that these these things are not just... Uh, corresponding parts for the purpose of reproduction and that's it but they work together to build a household exactly god's cosmos is a household the church is a household and the, the and his stories household. even in his word have these elements in them ruth is a feminine heroine story. and i'll bring up ruth later so i don't want to get too ahead of myself but ruth is a feminine heroine story and that's good and we're we're not only flattening out the world but we're actually uh despising our gifts from God, our inheritance from God, if we act like men and women are basically the same. Uh, Just one's a little shorter. And (laughs) the voice doesn't change at puberty. Um, So anyways, we did How Masculinity Saves the World, and now we're doing How Femininity Adorns the World. And the the verbs in those two, they mean something. Mm -hmm. So 
Jesus in his saving work was uh, embodying a masculine act. It is masculine to take the initiative, reach out, and redeem, ransom, save, rescue, fight for something. Right. It is feminine to adorn something. So um, you, you in your book make this point that creation is sort of uh, feminine in a sense, like creation itself. Well, that is absolutely, that, that goes with what we call this episode in the sense that God was totally complete. The triune God, before he created a dang thing, was absolutely satisfied in himself. Right. So why did he create? And the historic, reformed, at least Christian answer would be something like, he did it as an act of grace and to glorify himself. Well, that means that basically creation is a beautiful testament in all of its buzzing, sparkling, humming beauty. It's a it's picturing the bigness and worth of God. Yeah. And that's a so it's a feminine thing to adorn, to be beautiful, to display the glory of something. Um and so there you go. Yeah, well the the earth is um there, there's language in the Bible, and it's it, it's kind of odd to us. I'm trying to remember now. We may have I may have mentioned this in the previous episode, but there's a God creates Adam from the earth, and the earth has even the word matter is related to the word mother. Yeah, um, just the 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 dust of the earth. And there's a couple of texts in the Old Testament that kind of liken the earth to a mother. So like. David talks about in Psalm 139 about being knitted together in the depths of the earth mm-hmm. um, as God created him in his mother's womb. Um, there's this earthiness, which is, it's, it's brimming with life. The earth is brimming with life, potentiality, creation, mm-hmm. things coming out of it. And that's a, that's a glorious thing. It's, it's reproduction. It's multiplication. It is um, ultimately eschatological, which we'll, we'll get to this in a moment. But it is a, it is a beautiful thing, the way God has ordered the world to to display something. He doesn't need to. Exactly. He's not missing anything. Uh, there's nothing that is obligating him to do so. It is purely for the purpose of glory and beauty and and putting on display the magnificence of his nature. And what we're arguing in this episode is that is something that men and women both do, but there is a unique way, um, a very special way that women do that. Right. That is, um, that is, that is fantastic, beautiful. And that's how it, Femininity adorns the world. Right. And we honor God and we look at the world the way he has intended us to work, to look at it, um, when we account for that, when we talk like that and think like that and see women like that and women see themselves like that. Okay, so the bumper sticker statement, we usually try to give you like a one sentence, what are we saying? It's this, uh, femininity is a gift from God to the world. And I might tack on that, that gift is glorifying himself. Hmm. So God has bestowed upon creation, upon humanity, and on upon the, the, the actual earth itself, this thing called femininity, and it's beautiful. That's right. It's Amen. wonderful. And uh, I'll, I'll, this isn't a part of our bumper sticker statement, but I'm going to go ahead and, and tip my cards here about the, I don't think this will be a shock to too many of our listeners, but should any of you be shocked by this? I guess I really don't care that much. I love you, but it's not going to bother me. Feminism hates femininity. That's oh yeah. Feminism absolutely. hates femininity. It is anti-woman. It is, it it is like pro those people that have you know female bodies. 
but the things that are truly feminine, right. feminism is opposed to those things. Right. And instead what it does is it fetishizes masculinity in women. Right. Which yeah. is where you get things like, um, what's the Scarlett Johansson? I'm not going to watch it. My kids aren't going to watch it. The Marvel? The, yeah. Uh, Black Widow. Black Widow. Black Widow. Yeah, yeah. So I, I listen to some guys, Christian guys review that movie and it's like, I mean, she's, she's killing people and she's blowing things up and she's, but she's also wearing these like skin tight. Yeah. Skin tight. Like, and it's, Okay, you're taking this feminine shape that you know is good, uh, or you you know is like appealing, it's it's attractive, but you're making it do all these masculine things. You don't actually like femininity. Mm -hmm. You are obsessed with masculinity, and you want to jam this feminine form into it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there you have it. That's our that's our bumper sticker statement. Can you? I don't know if you remember this. Emily Blunt quote that you'd you'd reference, but do you, I remember talking to you about this? I, I remember talking to you about this. I don't remember the exact wording, but it's, so I'm, it, it was really fascinating. I'm going to see if I can pull it up. So Emily Blunt, I, I don't know much about her. She's I am John Krasinski's. She's wife, John Krasinski's which wife. Is Jim from yeah. the Office. So what I do know, I'll tell you. They appear to be somewhat real Roman Catholics. Uh, a Quiet Place was an incredibly that was a great movie. It was, it was. just a great movie. Full stop. Uh, it was the most pro-life movie. I'm sure, I'm, I, I would imagine that they would be nervous with me calling it that. <laughs> I think their politics are still democratic or still left of center. Yeah. But uh, it, it just was. It painted a very, very rich, beautiful, affectionate view of the household and of John as the father, his character as the father. And their real husband and wife and their husband and wife in the movie. Yeah, right. In <laughs> um, the, the sequel, that movie is all about protecting this baby. Yes. And there's a baby that cries, but all the... And she is willing to... Uh, Emily Emily's character is willing to put her life on the line to deliver this baby. It's the opposite of what abortion is. Abortion is your life for mine, baby. Yeah. And her... This story is, I'm willing to die just to have a chance of bringing you into the world. Yeah. Um. So anyways, she appears to be somebody who at least uh, is less inhospitable to a biblical worldview. Uh, and if they are committed Roman Catholics... Roman Catholics do have a, a pretty good natural theology. They have been fairly consistent on manhood, womanhood, contraception, things like that. So anyway, all that to say, Emily said this, uh, looks like maybe a year ago, um, in Variety. She said, uh, here's the headline, Emily Blunt rails against strong female lead label. Quote, it's the worst thing ever. I'm bored of it. Um, so here's, here's just a couple of paragraphs from the article. Don't mention the strong female character descriptor to Emily Blunt. During a recent interview with The Telegraph, the actor rejected the archetype and said she's, quote, bored of getting scripts where her character is labeled a strong female lead. It's the worst thing ever when you open a script and read the word strong female lead, Blunt said. Makes me roll my eyes. I'm already out. I'm, excuse me, I'm bored. Those roles are written as incredibly stoic. You spend the whole time acting tough and saying tough things. I'll stop there. Um, Did you notice, um, I noticed this when you read it just now, and I remember it from reading the article initially, how they described her as an actor. Oh, instead of actress. Yeah. No, I, I don't, maybe there's just new journalism, journal, journalism standards for how you do that, but it, 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 it's noteworthy because I would yeah. have expected them to say the actress said this or that. Mm -hmm. um, but in an article mm -hmm. where she's, kind of complaining about, you know, women having to embody these strong female right. character roles. They still call her actor 
Um, I pulled it up here and looked at it. The actor rejected the archetype and said she's bored yeah. with it. It's interesting. I do. So I don't know, you know, her, her heart. I don't want to pretend to speak for her, but I can tell you what would happen with most of the godly women I know uh, and, and the women whose worldview is, is one that I would trust and why they would roll their eyes at such a thing. And I can, I can make a guess that maybe this is why Emily's eyes would roll. Most of the godliest women I know, the idea of a woman being like a general going into battle, killing a bunch of people, you know, uh, the woman king or whatever came out earlier this year about, it was like a, I don't know this. It was an incredibly violent movie with a, a woman sort of leading the charge in battle, a historical uh, woman in Africa. But it, most of the women I know who, um, who I deeply respect and whose worldview is, is thoroughly biblical, I think would roll their eyes at that because they know what femininity actually is. And it's ridiculous that this movie is acting like it likes f- femaleness when it doesn't. It just likes women bodies doing masculine things. <laughs> right. well, it's like the, the Black Panther sequel. Yes. Um, I saw that, I guess, I went see it, saw it in theaters a few months ago. And it was... I'm sure like they, they kind of had to call an audible because... Uh, he died, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? It's his name. I can't remember. Uh, gosh, it's, it's, it's... I can't remember the, the actor's name right now that played... T'Challa was the yeah. character, but... Um, but the the girl, his sister, is she's a very petite kind of girl, and, you know, the, but she puts on the Black Panther suit, but at the end, when she's having this... When... You know, having this big fight with the you know the mean villain guy at the end, it it's it's bizarre. It it really is strange watching the yeah. thing play out um, because it's we're sub, it, it's like when you see two two men like a the hero of the right. story and a villain of the story duking it out like they did in the first movie. It's it's filled with a lot of tension. But whenever you see this this petite girl, you know, throwing this big muscular. Uh, villain around it's there it 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 just it's it's strange it is yeah. just even though we've seen it so many times in movies it's become pretty pretty cliche like the black widow mm-hmm. nevertheless it it is it's odd to watch it again and again and again every time i see it i'm like that's unnatural right that's why that's why i'm i think the the godly women i know um would roll their eyes at such a thing is because it or or maybe even be disgusted at it is because it is not feminine it's not eve like it is not mm-hmm. f- following the grain of how god actually made womanhood so I, i'll i'll put the headline first and then i can flush it out maybe for 30 seconds or something we shouldn't have women ultimate fighters and things like that we shouldn't we shouldn't have women kickboxing and, and those sorts of leagues as a society it's bad and the reason it's bad is not merely that like women would get hurt but it's that you're teaching people that it is good and proper and normal and like something we should pay to watch and, and shout and raise our fists and buy beer and cotton candy while mm-hmm. we watch it for women to hit things, hit people, push people down, claw at people, knock people out. It's not. I'm, it, it, if, if a woman is defending her child from a rapist or a kidnapper or a mountain lion or something, obviously fight away. But it's, that's not what's going on there. We're setting up an octagon, putting two females in it, and saying, have at it, and whichever one is yeah. still conscious at the end. Or Beat each other to a bloody pulp. That's not, 
that, that is not how God made females. That's not what he made them for. And obviously there's certain kind of male fighting that maybe you could argue wouldn't be how he made men. But in general, two men sparring is not an, an assault on the created order. Yeah, the right. way two women. Yeah, that's a good distinction because, like, let's say you would, if somebody were to make an argument that you know the sport itself is inherently violent and wrong, um, and even if you were to grant that point, you would say there is some unique wrong. When, Correct. Whenever, because when men do it, it is men acting out of their nature in a sinful way. Correct. It is violence that is done in a way that is for entertainment, and we could say that's. You know, could be unethical for a woman to act out violence in that way. It is, it is something that it goes against her design as a, as a female. There's something in the feminine nature that, that, uh, would, that would resist that sort of thing. I don't disagree with you. I mean, yeah. I think that's, that's I, a valid point. Yeah. I was probably, I was probably being, uh, over the top there. We, we, every time I think that there might be a little bit of on stuff like it always ends up weak. I agree. <laughs> that's I'm assuming, fine. I'm assuming too much. Um, yeah, one quick final thought on that. I have I have three boys, three girls. If if in a couple of years the one boy is the only one who's old enough to like box and stuff like that, but if in a couple of years the two younger ones who are three and or four and two, if they wanted to like go out in the backyard and literally box each other, I'm not going to have any problem with it within reason. You know, if they break each other's arms or something, okay. But like just in general, them box. But if my two daughters wanted to go out in the backyard and box. No, honey, that's not, God didn't make your fists for the same type of things that he made your brother's fists for. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, strange. So anyway, um, great quote from Emily Blunt there. Okay, so let's dive deeply into femininity adorning the world, God's gift uh, that adorns it. I'm going to start with an illustration. So this is an illustration from a, a pastor who writes really well on this stuff, um, Doug Wilson out in Moscow, Idaho. Um, I found this illustration incredibly helpful, incredibly biblical, but also just very true to life now that I've got kids of each gender and, and I've watched them do their thing. He said, um, when, when men go out into the world and build something the way God made Adam to build something, they, they build like a concrete bunker. So your husband, you've got this new wife, you've, you're going out and working your job, you're trying to you know, create a new family, and you essentially build this concrete bunker. And that's great. A concrete bunker will keep people safe, and men are supposed to build the kind of life for their families and for their societies that will keep everybody safe. He says, but nobody wants to live in a concrete bunker. That's right. See, the man gets it there, but... The woman is needed, is required to make it something that is actually livable. Yeah. Where anybody would want to spend their time. Um, and it's it's a it's a little bit of a cutesy, folksy illustration, but I think it's absolutely true to life. And it is what you see play out, I think, in scripture from very godly feminine women is they do sort of create an environment, an atmosphere where life thrives and happens and, and people... Um, come out of their shells and, and enjoy being in the room and in the... Right. Well, I, I think men, uh, on, on the whole, thrive or excel at making things functional, mm -hmm. and women excel and thrive at making things beautiful. 
and that's of course it's a generalization and there's interchangeability and so forth but but uh, that is something that is if, if you think of like if, if you pick picture like a frat house versus a sorority house and a frat house it's a bunch of dudes it's pretty much just going to be you know posters on the wall you know beer cans right. laying around whatever but um never been in a sorority house but just imagining it i imagine that it's you know it's very nicely decorated everything is the way it's supposed to be it's yeah. much more clean um that's when you have a, a community of women that are establishing something together, it's going to be homier. Yeah. Whereas with men, you know, a lot of men who live alone, um, I mean, there's, I guess it's a bit of a um, stereotype, but I, I've, I've seen like, you know, a meme of like, here's like a, a, a single man's apartment and yeah. it's a TV and a recliner and a end table. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. Uh, because he's just like, what else do I need? Or right. it's a mattress in the corner. Right. Um, but women, they make things beautiful. They make things pleasant to live in. Um, yeah, and so both are required. By the way, this is the thing that annoys me about sitcoms. I know we don't have too many sitcoms anymore, but the, the art form has like come out in other ways. So I think what I'm about to say you'll still resonate with, even if you've never seen it. What is a sitcom? So uh, there used to be this thing called network television. And... On Thursday nights when Cheers would be on. No, I'm just, just forgetting. <laughs> so, um, We're dating ourselves. Yeah, but the thing, so the thing that I have seen in, in sort of modern American, uh, you know, shallow comedy is the only way that you can sort of show the goodness of the one, masculinity or femininity, is by mocking the other or... Yeah, at the expense. E- exactly. Yeah. And the Bible doesn't do that. And so I don't want to do... Like, I want to train my mind away from that. And so here's what... You know, there's a part of me that years ago, if I were trying to describe the beauty of femininity, I would be like, yeah, dudes, man, they wouldn't make it on their own. Like it's a, I would just kind of yeah. mock manhood. The reality is both are essential to the world. God decided they would both be essential components of creation and you need each. So if a woman were by herself, there's a reason why in the Old Testament, the woman who is by herself is usually treated as somebody who is to be given extra care or protection. It's because the way God has made the world, generally men are able to protect and keep women safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how God actually made things. The flip side, if you have only men, uh, and I think you've got a bit in, in your book about this, in Lord of the Rings, towards the end when they're returning to Minas Tirith. Right. And only the men have been in the city. When the women return, Tolkien paints it as like the beauty is returning. And yeah. they're and if I remember right, they're like singing and they're, they like have songs, flowers. dancing. There's flowers. There's it. It it does. It, like you say, it's a it's a picture that is painted that it, you intuitively sense life is coming back into the city yes. because women are coming back into exactly. the city. So both of these things, if you've got. It, you, you listener, are either a man or a woman, and I want you to know the goodness of your maleness or femaleness. But if you've got sons or daughters also, don't ever, don't ever talk about your boys. Like, that's just boys being stupid. I mean, I know we all make that joke a little bit, but in, don't let the tenor of your home be boys are stupid and girls are smart or, you know, that's just girls being girls and like on either one. Yeah. I think the spirit of our age, so the spirit of scripture is that there is a complementary nature that is interdependent. So it's like, and, and reproduction is like the, the supreme example to where you, to have a baby, you need a man and you need a woman, but babies are, uh, it's life. You need homes and like men, 
and women both make their own contributions. So there's an interdependence and a need for both. Both are are honored as such. Um, but our society now there's it's it's much more competitive. There's yeah. a there is a sense of it's men against women, and I'm seeing um, there's there's like a YouTube. I, I don't know the show. It's like I've seen a few clips where you have like a bunch of guys and a bunch of girls and there's a white background oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they've all got microphones and they're having these frank conversations about men and women and dating. And it's all yeah, uh, not Christian thing. Um, but the spirit of that is not a, I don't, it, it, I always, it grieves me when I see it because the spirit is not this, like a playfulness. Mm-hmm. It's not a, Hey, there's a, there's some, there's some interesting sexual tension between the men and the women, but it's, it's, it's kind of antagonistic. Yes. It's like, why do women do these stupid things? Well, why do men do these stupid things? And it's, uh, there's yes. some hostility there. Um, and that is, that, that is contrary to scripture, which says we need both. There's value in both. There's glory in both. God designed both for a particular purpose. And this, the spirit of the age now is, yeah. is losing that. So, <laughs> excuse me, most of our day has exalted women and denigrated men. And so that's the area where we need most correction. It's in most of our movies. It's in most of our, that's been kind of, and so that's why a lot of times you'll hear me make that correction because the day I'm in, if I were in 1860 Alabama, I'm going to talk a lot about how black people are people and we shouldn't buy them. Right? Right. Well, if I'm in 2023 America, which hates manhood and basically assumes the absolute virtuousness of womanhood, I'm going to talk a lot about how women sin too. But I will say what you just said, the manosphere, I have read enough of it to see. And if you don't know what manosphere is, listener. It's a big bubble out in a desert. Yeah, and there's I know. <laughs> don't, don't Google it only because you'll go down a rabbit hole and I think it's not. But I can tell you basically at it's street bitter level, men. it's bitter men. And so some of it is they realized what they had been told about being like, if you just are always vulnerable yeah. and sweet, then every woman will really like you. Like that turned out not to be true. And I'm angry. Okay. Granted, that's not true. But now what it has become, the manosphere has basically become women bad, um, and, and antagonistic towards mm-hmm. women. And that is ungodly and sinful because not because it's distasteful, not because I don't like it, but because God made womanhood. Right. And when you don't like womanhood, you're disliking something the all-wise, omniscient, beautiful God handcrafted. Mm-hmm. We don't get to say, this isn't like an ice cream store where we get to say we don't like vanilla. Yeah. He made womanhood. You have to love it. Yeah. He made manhood. You have to love it. And if you don't love it, something's wrong in your heart. You need to repent of it. Amen. Okay, so femininity... Um, it uh, adorns the world in that way. It's the it makes the concrete bunker something people want to live in, not just something they can live in. All right, let me give you uh, another statement here within our deep dive. Femininity glorifies God. Femininity glorifies God. Let me show you what I mean in one particular text: Genesis two, eighteen through twenty two. Uh, Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. So this is at the end of the creation account. He's made everything else. He's made Jupiter. He's made grass. He's made dolphins. He's made bears. He's made everything. And he says, and the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field 
and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he'd call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. He's going to name the next thing God makes too. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Now you ask me, okay, wait, how does that glorify God? All right, here's how... Here's how you see femininity glorifying God there. God had made this thick, beautiful, buzzing, sparkling, glittering world that was just, it would knock your socks off. You'd look up and it's you're seeing- It's Exactly. You're looking up and you're seeing stars. You're looking down and you're seeing green grass. You're looking over there and you see a polar bear. You're looking over there and you see two butterflies fluttering over a beautiful, you know, uh, collection of flowers and you're just thinking, oh my goodness, I was made out of the dirt and now I get to be Prince Regent over all of this? Mm -hmm. And in that giant, beautiful canvas that would absolutely stop you in your tracks with its glory, it was incomplete. Yeah. It is not and, good. And the thing that was missing, the capstone of all that beauty, was a woman. Yeah. God decided that the, the last sentence in his story of creation would be femininity. Yeah. Now, you can try and shovel your, your black widows down my throat all you want, Disney, but it's trash compared to that. Yeah, so the black widow is, let's give, let's give, a, let's give you another man doing right. more doing masculine things, but just shaped a little differently. Exactly. And that's, there, there, it, it isn't, Black Widow uh, lacks the, the, the unique feminine beauty that we see spoken of of women in scripture. Yeah. And so I've, I've pulled up a, a section from my book. It's, it's not out yet. So this is just the um, pre-published uh, version of it, but here's, um, here, here's something where I, I mentioned the eschatological nature of womanhood. And this is, um, well, I just I just tapped away to the all right, here we go. So let me read this. It says it seems as though God has ordered the sexes with a kind of protology and eschatology. Masculinity seems to be more protological, having to do with the beginning of things, such as building, inventing, and creating. Thus, men tend to be initiators, conquerors, explorers. Similarly, femininity seems to be more eschatological, having to do with the end of things. Women, therefore, tend to be more refined and nurturing, excelling at domesticating and beautifying their environments. Women also tend to be custodians of civility and social harmony. And so I have a quote here from a man named Werner Noor, and he said that the man is more strongly equipped for creative or destructive remodeling of his environment, and the woman is more strongly equipped for arranging what the man has acquired for her and she has received from him. These aggregated observations point to a basic blueprint of God's design for men and women with broader implications for the household. So that's the, um, I, I first heard this, this language of women being eschatological and men being protological in a podcast, and I, I couldn't track down the exact episode, but it was Shane Morris who's... Phil Vischers? Was it Phil Vischers' uh, podcast? It wasn't, wasn't Phil Vischers, no, it was Shane Morris who's on Breakpoint, but... Um, 
but that when I heard that, I really got to uh, reflected quite a bit on what he what he was getting at, and I, I found that to be a very profound insight because you see, God created man first; He created woman last. You see the general initiation, the initiation of things versus the completing of things. A lot of times, so let's say if, if you're a home builder, um, the man, uh, you're going to have men out there digging the footer, laying, pouring a foundation. They're going to put the house together. But the final thing that you do is you paint it, you decorate it, you choose your colors, you uh, stock it with food, you're mm-hmm. going to, um, all, all the furniture and all of those things, the things that make that house a home, more likely um, to be done by women, or at least women more naturally excel at those sorts of things. You take that insight and just apply it in a number of areas. You see that that there, there's a lot of truth in that observation. Yep. That women tend to be the the completion of things, and that's yeah. God's design. And even apart from the gen, it's absolutely true. And any uh, look, I'm anybody who's been around on planet Earth for a significant amount of time could verify that. Yes, generally speaking, that is absolutely how it goes. Uh, most women are going to be better or more inclined to that kind of work, and most men are going to be better or more inclined to the other kind of work. But even apart from that generality, I would say the nature of the work itself, even if you find a guy who's good at the the interior, you know, right, beautifying yeah. piece, the nature of the work is still feminine. It accords with feminine beauty, like feminine characteristics. Yeah, because like, well, if you think of a woman... Uh, the for a woman as she becomes a mother um her body is a home for nine months and then for you know some period of time after the child is born you know child psychologists have observed that the child is not able to distinguish some difference between himself or herself and the mom yeah so it's like mommy and i are one and it's only over time as the child ages and matures that the child begins to understand these things. So it, in so many ways, a woman is home. Yeah, and that's not some weird, you know, we're not, neither one of us is, is Darwinists for good reason, and you shouldn't be either, dear listener. But that's not some weird evolutionary, like God made it that way. He made her body to be the baby's home. And then in the ordinary uh, course of events, understanding that this doesn't always happen for a number of reasons, but even after birth, he has made her body to be the source of life for that baby right. in nursing. Mm-hmm. So for this, I mean, think about that. When your baby is five years old or whatever, if you're including the nine months in the womb, I don't know, something like a third of its living existence has been directly dependent on the body, the female body of your wife, of the yeah. mother. That's a glorious thing. Uh, and it, 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 underscores what femininity is supposed to be, what it, what it tells, the, the things about God and, and about his wisdom that he's trying to communicate through it. It's, it glorifies him by being feminine. Yeah. Um, well, so that actually is a good, that the, the nursing and the, her, her body being a home is a good um, segue into the next point here in our deep dive, which is that femininity nourishes life. So it glorifies God. And one of the ways it glorifies God is by nourishing life. So most basically, it nourishes life literally in that all of us came out of a woman. Mm -hmm. We're here with vocal cords that work and hearts that are still beating and everything because all of that was once inside a woman who then gave birth to us. 
And regardless of that woman's, I realize there are mother wounds in our day and place, especially uh, where you may not have had a, gr a great mother, but listener, regardless of the virtue of your mother, how Christ-like she was or wasn't, she deserves your honor for that alone. Yeah. She housed you. The first place your heart ever beat was inside her. Right. And so it is something glorious and weighty and significant that all of us share that. That's a universal human feature that we were first nourished inside of a woman. And then beyond the, the, that initial like biological reality, there's the truth that femininity, when it, when it is present in a room, in a meeting, in a birthday party, in a family, and in anything, generally femininity does nourish the life around it. It has a tenderness that will usually draw out of people who they really are. Uh, it has a warmth that will sustain relationships over long periods of time. You say femininity. Femininity. Yeah. Yes, femininity. So... <clears throat> And I think I could even say it this way. Obviously, masculinity and femininity, um, they have characteristics that we don't all ha possess in the same abundance. Right, yeah. So I'm, I'm five foot nine, you're six foot four. Uh, there's guys in our church who are my height but can bench press more than I do. Uh, those, are, those are somewhat shallow, but just kind of obvious examples of what I'm saying that we don't all have the exact same quantity of these masculine or feminine characteristics that are good. Mm -hmm. That's how God made the world. He didn't make everybody equal in all the things. And my point in that is to say this, where you see lots of femininity in a church or in a family, where you see good amounts, good quantities of femininity, you will usually see well-nourished life. Yeah. Well, to to the point you were making just before that, there is a like masculinity and femininity can be observed in an individual, but you're only you're going to have limited insight that you'll see. Um, it can be best be seen in the aggregate. If you're looking at, you know, if you look at a man and a woman, and you're like, well, what are their what are their characteristics? You're like, well, he's got some more feminine traits, and she's got some more masculine traits, and that is presumed to like break the paradigm, but that isn't true. If you look at men and women in the aggregate. Um, you know, a hundred men or a thousand men are, they're going to be a cluster of characteristics that will more likely characterize the men and the cluster of characteristics that'll do the same for women. And the, when looking at the whole, you, you see in women, these characteristics that are more likely to be connecting relational, they, uh -huh. they're community forming. There's, there's a sense of equality, inclusion, um, women thrive in these things and they, there, there is a, and, and I think that's because there is this nurturing instinct that is so uh, prevalent and natural to a woman that is, I want to make sure everybody here right. feels in whatever environment that women are in. I want, I want them to feel at home. I want them to feel welcome. Um, women just, there, there's, there's more of an instinct to do that. And that's a good thing. And we are impoverished whenever we lose that. Yes, correct. And so woman listener, whoever you are, mother, wife, daughter, whatever, sister, um, the feminine, the femininity in you that God has put in you by virtue of making you a woman, that was his providence. He decided to make you a woman and you will be a woman unto eternity. Your femininity is a gift. It's a blessing to the lives around you because your femininity is, 
It's a, it's a vitamin, if you will, that will strengthen yeah. a particular body in a way that only it can. So when masculine you say body, you mean like a, 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 a church. Okay, yeah, any, yeah, any, any, any organism, any, any collection of humans. So my family is blessed by the four females that are in it. There are eight people in our household. Four of them are women. My, my household is blessed by the femininity that's in it. I used this example, I think, before we started recording. I've got a two-year-old. I don't want to get... This is the only one I use from our household because we've got a spot outlined for this later. So this I'll, I'll save the rest till, till later on in the podcast. But I've got a two-year-old son named Azariah. Oh, I shouldn't use our kids' names, I guess. I just doxed my two-year-old. I've got a two-year-old son named Jethro and, and a four-year-old daughter. And the son always wants his sister to uh to walk him everywhere he 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 learned to walk i don't you know a little while ago and he 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 can make it on his own but if he's like nervous about going to a particular part of the yard or even if you can just tell he just kind of wants some company he will hold out his hand for her that's the one he wants he wants her and then she will walk him over wherever it is now at two years old he still understands like she's not that big She's a small little girl. So it has nothing really to do with protection, physical protection, as much as it is there is something about her, and she is a very f- sweet, feminine presence, even I can already tell, it's, it's just in her, that it's comforting to him. Yeah. It, it, it is, it's warm to him. It's safe, and, and that's a gift. That, if, if she weren't in my household, that wouldn't be there. That femininity in her little I said four, I think she's five, but she's five. That little femininity in her five-year-old frame is a gift to the Thomas household. Yeah, it's a nurturing of life. It it is a caring for a person that is younger, smaller, more vulnerable and weak than she is. And it it activates something within her to care for that child. And that's a that's a good thing. Whereas that's I mean, I've raised three boys. Yeah. And my boys, that's that that may not be the first impulse. That no, but if have. a dog were running at my two-year-old son and your boys were around it, they would get and they right. would take care well, of it. Well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure you heard that story of, of a boy who, yes. was, um, who was severely injured yes. by protecting his little kid sister. And exactly. he was, I don't know what age he was, but he was a young child. Yeah, right? I think he was like seven or something. Yeah, I mean. but his little sister was being uh, threatened by a dog and he put himself in harm's way. That is a masculine exactly. instinct to protect. Now, of course, women, let's not say that women don't protect or whatever, but it is, it is a different type of protection. Yes. Um, where, and that is, whenever women, um, I think that what I would most want to promote in the message through this this episode is just that it is it is good when women embody these feminine characteristics and virtues because they are needed and good and glorious and it, it but it, it, this our society seems to prize more highly masculine characteristics in women or at least that's given a lot of attention such that feminine characteristics seem a little uh, boring, uninteresting, less yeah. valuable, less cherished. And at least for Wade and I, like we want to celebrate, applaud, thank, you know, honor women who are truly feminine. Yeah. So, you know what? We'll go out of order here, and I'm going to go ahead and unmask a, a, an example of sophistry right now. Uh, we'll, we'll come back in a second to the deep dive, but let me, just since you brought it up, I'm going to unmask... Uh, an act of sophistry that our culture pulls, and particularly Disney. And I say this as a guy who just went to Disney World. <laughs> and I hope Disney becomes sane again someday. But 
I have noticed, particularly in Disney, uh, and but also in, and I'm by Disney, I mean Marvel, Star Wars, the whole thing. I'm, t- I'm thinking of the new Star Wars movies. I'm thinking of the Black Widow thing. I'm thinking of uh, Captain Marvel, the, the whole enterprise. But then also in commercials and stories that I see elsewhere, our world right now, when it says strong woman, there is only one thing it's trying to communicate. A woman who is achieving, who is conquering, who is killing, who is putting down, who is in battle, who is an astronaut going to the moon, who is, that's what it, so what it's doing there is, it's taking this positive adjective that we all know is good. We all know strong is mm-hmm. a positive adjective, just like healthy or beautiful. It's a, it's a, right. it's a purely positive adjective. And it's saying, you, little girl, will only get to have this adjective applied to you if you're masculine. Yeah. You must join the army. You must become a cop. You must be Captain Marvel Mm -hmm. to get this word applied to you. Yeah. And the Bible would do no such thing. Yeah. So Ruth, the story of Ruth, she is a, a, as feminine as you can be. She's Mm -hmm. a heroine. Uh. And she is incredibly strong. I mean, her strength goes a mile beneath the surface. Yeah, you see her, like, how much she did to work in the field, and she is fiercely loyal to Naomi, her mother-in-law. Who's not even her mother-in-law at that point. Her husband's died. She's totally free. Yeah. She's totally free. Yeah, but she's, but she is, you, you see that she would fit what we would certainly describe as a strong woman, but she is, she is strong in such a feminine way. Right. Her strength is feminine. So she uh, goes into the fields. She, in her own gentle way, without you know pushing her way around, she goes to a particular field. She gleans all day. She thanks Boaz, who shows her generosity and says, hey, you know, I've told my men to leave you alone. Also come up here and have lunch with us. And, and she shows thankfulness. She does, she's not like, you know, darn right. It's about time you came over here. And she has all of this soft, gentle femininity in a kind of strength that is the reason Naomi gets a grandkid and is the reason Boaz doesn't die alone and is the reason David ends up existing. Yeah. None of those three things I just said would happen if Ruth weren't who she was and if Ruth didn't do what she did. Mm-hmm. But it's a feminine kind of accomplishment. And so the, the Bible holds up stories like that and says, here's a, here's a resilience, here's a, um, here's a depth, here's a, a fortitude and a faithfulness in a feminine shape. Mm-hmm. But our culture, because it's foolish and godless, <laughs> says fortitude and resilience, they only have masculine shapes. Yeah. The only way you're going to be strong is if you're an astronaut or a soldier or a cop. Yeah. So a woman be that or you ain't strong because the woman who stays home and takes care of her kids and raises up a generation of children, she's not strong. She's settled for second best. Right. She's, yeah. I mean, that's cute and folksy that you want to do that, but that's not strong. Yeah. And the Bible says you're wrong. That's it right. It is. Yeah. Yeah. She is like, Ruth is a very beautiful character. And, and, and there's a reason why a lot of women love reading her story. It, it is, it is a, you know, a, the story of the Bible includes a lot of masculine heroes and to have a feminine hero that is honored for her feminine strength right. is a, is a good thing. And, it, and it's a powerful story. And there's, there isn't anything about her. I mean, there isn't anything about her that is like, well, that's, she's having to, um, 
She, at, at no point does she behave in a way that is, you know, inappropriate for a woman. No, I mean, she lies at Boaz's feet and says, please cover me. So she's, she, here's this, here's this thing that is this incredibly submissive posture and yet is a heroic act mm -hmm. because she's putting herself out there to potentially be rejected. Right. She's also doing this largely for her mother-in-law, right? Mm -hmm. And she's a Moabite. She has no claim on marrying a Jew. She has no claim on being in this country. So it's an act of faith in this God that she has says, back in chapter one, wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you lodge, I'll lodge. Your people, my people, and your God, my God. Well, now she's putting her money where her mouth is, and she says, I'm going to trust that this God's going to do something here, basically. So it's a, it's a feminine kind of risk or a feminine kind of uh, climax. Right. And I just... It's a beautiful story. There's a reason why uh, you're not going to see Disney make a Ruth movie. <laughs> you know, right. she ain't Mulan. Right. <laughs> so, all right. So that, that's an act of, so, all right. Femininity nourishes life. Let me uh, do this one. Femininity beautifies life. It beautifies life. And what do you mean by that? So there's, a, there's an obvious sense here when Adam saw Eve, he, he clearly was taken with her physical beauty. Mm -hmm. And that is good and appropriate. Like, we don't need to be uncomfortable with that. Song of Solomon makes that plain. It is good and appropriate for a man to appreciate feminine beauty, primarily, obviously, really in his wife. Right. right. Um, that's, where, that's where we get to experience feminine beauty as men is with our wives. Uh, what Proverbs says, delight in the breast of, your, of, of the wife of your youth. Mm -hmm. Like, we're supposed to take delight in our wife's beauty. So there's that. There's the actual beauty of a woman, like the physical beauty. But then... There's also this element that scripture shows in Proverbs 31 and in, in some of the women who kind of create households in scripture, like, you know, Martha, even though she gets rebuked by Jesus, she is actually doing something good by preparing a meal. Yeah. Showing hospitality. Right. Women beautify other things. They beautify the world around them. Mm -hmm. they, they take a world that a man has ordered or that God has created, and then they they bring this splash of color to it. Yeah. Um, and I think old Christendom art kind of reflects this in the female parts in singing or the Madonna in Renaissance paintings, or like you can see that there was an appreciation in our past, in our Christian past as a culture for the particular kinds of beauty that the female quality does to the world. Yeah. What it brings to the world. Um, have you, have you seen any of this, any that I'm describing, where, where females bring out the beauty of things? Well, I, I just think that there's a, um, we talked earlier before we started recording about, if you think about the smells of your childhood, yeah. um, let, you know, let's say for the sake of argument, you grew up in a you know, decent, healthy home, or at least uh, around a mother who is really motherly, and you just think about your childhood, and what are some of your favorite memories? Um, you know, if you think of, Christmas time mm -hmm. or Thanksgiving meal or um, a special birthday or celebration. Now, obviously, there's going to be men and women present in all those things. But the things that really stand out to yeah. make those things, those events special is going to be what the mother uniquely brings. Yeah. So I think of with, you know, with uh, when it's Christmas time, uh, my wife is the one that's dressed out. Yeah. To make sure every kid... Uh, 
you know, has just the thing that they've been thinking about and wanting and she wants them all to be happy. And that's like that, that is such a, a drive for her that she, it, it causes her grief and angst wanting to make sure that, you know, she gets it just right. And I think a child disappointed at Christmas would be a nightmare for, for a lot of mothers. Yeah. Um, same thing. Like my wife is, she's got little traditions, you know, she, every birthday for my kids, she like, she makes them this special ice cream cake mm. and it's, my kids know they get ice cream cakes for their birthday. That's just praise God. That's just the way, uh, that's, and those things will be childhood memories that, um, whenever we go, you know, visit my parents in Mm -hmm. uh, West Virginia, um, I want to go to my mother's house or I go to my dad and stepmother's house. The, the things that, uh, in both of those households, the things that stand out are, um, the, are, are the things that the, the women uniquely bring to the table. Yeah. Um, and so that's a, that's something that is so, so important and needed. It's like, that's, that's the, the, the life of their childhood. Those are the memories that will last. Yeah. Um, I think that whenever, whenever people talk about home, um, or if they talk about their parents, um, I've noticed, and this is just anecdotal, but in my observation, people refer to, yeah, my mom and dad, this Mm -hmm. sort of thing. Mom always comes first. And I think that's because there's just something that there, there's something special in uh, a person's heart. When they think about home, they think of mother first. And of course, that's not, uh, that, I don't think that intends any disrespect to the father. Yeah. But mother's just the, the instinctive thing to mention first. Yeah. And that's a, that is women doing uniquely feminine things that make life special, make life beautiful. That are some of our most cherished things in life and that we think about that are precious to us are things that, that, that bear the mark of the feminine that, that has impacted us so powerfully. Yeah. And, and had two men been in that childhood as the two, you know, child raising agents, all of that would be gone. Uh, and that, I'm sure they might try to mimic it yeah. in some way. But. And I'm sure single fathers are going to try to compensate, but we're not doing ourselves any favors to not account for the fact that when a woman is missing, when the mom is missing, it is an actual loss. Just yes. like if the dad is missing, it is an actual loss. Right. If you, if you took... So the aroma of your favorite childhood memories, you're saying that, and it's absolutely right. The aroma of your happiest childhood memories, generally speaking, if you were in a if if you were in a good, godly household, the aroma is your mom's doing. Yeah. If you took my wife out of it, the aroma of my kids' happiest child memories would be like wet cement. Yeah. There ain't gonna be no cookie smells. I mean, it, <laughs> like all of the things that when they're 60, 70, 80 years old and they're telling their grandkids or great grandkids about Christmas or about Easter, about I I know they will. God has used me to teach them about himself and there'll, there'll be great theological things that they know and skills that they have mm-hmm. that were from me. Yeah. But the flavor of home will always be my wife. Yeah. Always. I mean, just as you're talking about the ice cream cake, I'm thinking when we, we lost one baby and every year at the anniversary of the day that we found out about that, um, that the baby died, Sarah is the one who makes cookies and puts little gold flakes, gold sprinkles in the cookies. And we call it, I think it's something like heaven day. We eat those (laughs) cookies to remember the baby we lost. She came up with that. She keeps that tradition alive. And every, all of our kids 
enjoy yeah. that. I can imagine you um, coming up with an idea like that. All right, kids, it's cookie day. And if, if that were me, it'd be cookie day. Right. I would go to Kroger and get like a Pillsbury exactly. roll, whatever, yes. and let's Correct. bake the cookies. But the little, the gold stars yes. or whatever, that, that, that's, that's what we're talking about. It, it is the unique things that, that stand out. It's a, that's a woman's touch yeah. that's going to make that special. And it's, it's special not just because it's different. It's special because a woman, it meant something to her. Right. That's, and it lands in the kid's heart as a feminine gift. Yeah. It, my kids know that's a mommy kind of thing to do. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I, I think I had a birthday a couple of years ago. Um, well, I have a birthday every year, but on this particular birthday, it was the one that was a couple of years ago. Your 31st. Uh, that's right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just maybe a little bit more than that. Um, I have a daughter. My daughter just turned 18 um, a couple of weeks ago. And so she, she made for this birthday a collage. And it was uh, mostly pictures of either me or her and a lot of these pictures. But just um, but she arranged them and she made little notes on them, like little like and, and there, I don't know, there may be 75, 50 to 75 pictures in this collage and it's in this frame. Um, and my my boys i mean i have i have thoughtful sons but my boys would not have done that yeah this was something that my daughter did and that's it's very special to me because she did it and and of course i have a i have a special i have, a, I have an affection for her that is different than my affection for my boys i love them all the same but i it, there's the things that she brings to our home is she brings an an extra dose of feminine energy to our house um and i love that exactly. it's like and the things that, um, even the way that in a household people annoy each other, um, there are things that, the things that I love about her, about, you know, just these spices of life that are feminine. Um, but she'll, she'll call me, <laughs> I'll tell the story. Uh, she, she called me the other day and no context or anything. She said, dad, do I have enough gas to, uh, to get to school? And I'm thinking... <laughs> I don't know where you are. I don't know how far you are from the school. I don't know how much gas you have in the car. Um, but in her mind, uh, your dad, you're supposed I'm dad. to know. Yeah, I'm supposed to know. Um, I, dad fixes things. You know, dad, dad kind of knows how to do stuff like that. If she was like planning a party, she would call her mom. Yeah. And my wife, sure enough, my daughter has a graduation party coming up this Monday. And my wife is the one stressing out about that for the last few months to plan this graduation party for her. That's uh, these these little dynamics in our home, the little things that and I'm like, that makes each person unique and interesting. And the fact that my daughter is free to be feminine. My wife is free to be feminine. I'm free to be masculine. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not trying to compensate. I'm not trying to perform in some way because I feel like I need to. We free one another in interdependent ways. Yeah to create this household that is wonderful to be in. My favorite place to be on this planet is in my home with all my family there. I yeah. love being there. It's, I'm, I'm a bit of a homebody. It's probably probably a problem. You know? no, I don't think so. But I love being there. But it's like, it's because of these things that just make it such a delight. Yeah. And that's your your birthday collage is an example. It's a microcosm of what's happening in, in, in the Garden of Eden. Have you seen it? Have you seen the, It's in my kitchen there. But Yeah, I have, but I never knew the story behind it. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that, that, and that, that totally makes sense now that you say that. I, I see it probably every week when I'm, you know, for a small group. 
Um, but I'd never known the story. But yeah. that totally makes sense now that you say that. And I think I probably did assume that Laura or Reese had done it. Yeah. I think I assumed just on some level, there's no way one of the boys yeah, sure. made that. Yeah. Um, so that, that's a microcosm there of what's going on in Eden where Adam's existence on this perfect sinless world was still in some sense not good or not right. complete. It had not yet reached its teleos. It had not yet reached its completion. Yeah. So I, I'm, yeah, if I can just jump in there. Yeah. So just imagine Eden without Eve. It was perfect. It was unfallen. And all the beauty and the, the poetry, the way, the way that you described that earlier, it would not have had the cookies with the gold sprinkles on That's it. exactly it right. It would not have had the birthday collage. It would not have had the ice cream cake. Those things were missing in a perfect world. Right. Because it lacked the strength that a woman supplies. Right. It needed not just another man to to add to the masculine strength that already had. It needed a uniquely feminine strength to be brought to bear. Yeah. And that's what finished it, that completed it. And that's why there's an eschatological yep. orientation. It would have been a good tree without any sap or any fruit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's let's take a look at what the Bible says. So I've, I've, I've gone through the story of Ruth. Let me just read a little bit of Proverbs 31. And I'd like you, Michael, just stop me at any point you want to comment. Uh, I'm just I'm just going to offer a little bit of this. So this is a famous passage here about... Uh, what a good woman brings to the world. Um, Proverbs 31 begins like this. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Don't give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. There's the ungodly woman. Mm -hmm. It's not for kings, O Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine or rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what's been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give it to one who's perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute. Be a good man. For the rights of all who are destitute, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. And then this advice to this man that she wants to be strong and this man she wants to be masculine, she says, an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her. He will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it's still night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She, By the way, what did she make her arms strong for? All the stuff that, that came prior to this, it was not fighting <laughs> right, Orcs. fighting wars. <laughs> right, she, she is not. She has a different kind of strength here for a different kind of good. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. So there's strength that's making clothing garments. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household. For all her household are clothed in scarlet. Implication there, they're clothed because she made it so. Right, yeah. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. There's beauty for her. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. So 
this is the mother was telling King Lemuel, here's the kind of woman to marry. So she wants him to be a good man and she wants him to be known at the gates. One of the ways you're going to be known at the gates, one of the ways you're going to be known mm-hmm. among your community is to marry a woman like this. Well, she enables it. Yes. Like she, like, by having a well-ordered, well-managed household, kids are fed, they're clothed, everything's taken care of at home, that, that enables him to expand his domain to where he is, he is able to, to, to have gro- broader influence. Yes. So it's like the interdependence. So let's say uh, he was kind of a weak man and she was kind of a weak woman and neither one was really doing that well. There's a lot of overlap and confusion in their household. Then they're not able to, there's not a whole lot of benefit to one another, but there's, she's got a lot of clarity. She's very industrious, hardworking. Um, she's, she's got servants. Yes. She's entrepreneurial. She's buying fields and, this is often presented. Um, I've heard I've heard people talk about it. It's like, well, here's a career woman. I'm like, no, like this is a homemaker. absolutely false. Yeah, it's the opposite. Like this is why everything she does here is for the benefit of her people. Her kids are well fed, well clothed, well sheltered. They're warm. They're wearing uh, sharp clothes. Um, and you see that the fruit of this. I think like verse 23 about her husband being known in the gates. That is that is a byproduct of having a well ordered home right. to where he. He, he knows she's got things well at hand, and he is able to expand his dominion right. by having influence more broadly um, in the gates of the city. Of course, being in the gates of the city, that's where that's where you got stuff done. It's like the county courthouse, right? Or you know, the it, it's a it's a place of influence and and uh, and rule. So it presumes he's going to be out at the gates. It presumes he's going to be the public face of the family. It presumes that he's going to have some masculine role to play in the good of this city that's surrounded by gates. Right. But in order to do that in the most efficient, most godly, most fruitful way, he needs behind him a woman who is clothing him in scarlet and who is buying a field and selling it at a profit and who is making sure her family is well fed. I'm sitting here recording this right now, and I have no idea where my kids are but i know wherever they are they're running down the street they're safe <laughs> they're probably learning something right now from my wife's home education it, whatever is happening in the thomas household at 4 50 on tuesday afternoon is ordered yeah and i know that not because my wife is some super woman but she's godly and has tried to live this way and by god's grace has been given some aptitude in these things and it frees me up to sit here at at the city gates if i may the 2023 podcasts are about as close to the city gates as you can get (laughs) apart from running for congress i guess i think it's it's interesting because like so she's not this she's not like this businesswoman she's a homemaker but i i I think it's important to point this out that when we say homemaker that sounds like um in our culture, at least, it sounds like a second tier thing, but these are the words uh, from the mother of King Lemuel. Right. And she's saying, this is the kind of woman you want. Right. And so like, what we're seeing described here is the life of a queen. And and that's that's queen in a much more literal sense. Yeah, not in the stupid Beyonce like, way. slay queen. Yeah. I, I, not that kind of queen. No. We're talking about a woman. This, like in her household, this is what we see in Proverbs 31 is this is her dominion. This is right. her ter- territory. She is ruling her household and she's crushing it. 
Everybody's better because of her. Yeah. Everybody's warmer because of her. Everybody's more fed and more satisfied and more content because of her. Her husband, everybody knows his name at the gates because of her. And because she has made this kind of a home that yeah. enables all of that to, to bloom and to flower. Yeah, he trusts her implicitly. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's the... There, there's a, um, maybe you're, you're still going to keep reading, but there was a, a, a verse um, about strength, verse 25 in Proverbs yeah. 31. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. I mean, imagine like in the ancient world mm-hmm. when nobody, it's not like you run out of food, you can go to Kroger. Or if you're, you know, if you're short on your paycheck, you can buy food with a credit card. It's yeah. like to, to just day-to-day provision was a big, big deal. There ain't no Amazon trucks in King Lemuel's day. That's right. But she's but she's laughing at the time to come. She's laughing. She's like, I got nothing because to worry about. She know, for one, implicit in this is that her she does has faith in Yahweh. Your ESV heading there says the woman who fears Yahweh or the woman mm-hmm. who fears the Lord, all caps, Lord. So this presumes this woman fears God, and that's part of why she can try, uh, yeah laugh at the time to come. But also she's prepared. Yeah. And not only prepared herself, like as in she's got a bomb shelter or a, you know, canned goods. But she's raised up these children who are also going to help. Yeah. So whatever comes. Yeah. When the kids are little, um, the the proportion of the work is, is falls so much more heavily onto the wife. Yeah. Or the mother. Um, but as the as the children grow up, and of course, in the ancient household, that was the expectation. You know, kid hits eight, nine, ten years old. They're doing. They have significant chores, and that's not unrealistic. I mean, I I have a, a sister that she runs a farm and. They, she's got her, they were milking cows and doing stuff whenever they were 10 years old. So the, it, that's a realistic thing. And so by the time, by the time they start about a decade in, um, now you've got an army of people that are serving. And I look at verses 27 and 28. Um, I, I love how it just finishes up here. It says she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Praise God. I love this chapter. I love it because I love womanhood, and I love womanhood because I love God. Amen. That's the way it works. All right, let me do this. I want to end on a note of hope, but first let me ask our listener question. Okay, I've, I've got two listener questions, okay? Um, you can answer both or you can pick one. I think I'm going to try to answer both, but I'm reading them in real time. Number one, can you give us some tips for keeping each other accountable in a feministic world, in a world of feminism, in a world that's filled with feminism? Help us appreciate actual femininity and distinguish it from lies. So can you help us in a world of... Us, is this, I guess, a married couple? uh, I think women. I think think she's speaking for all the women in the church, all the women listening, whatever. How, How can you help us keep each other accountable in a world where feminism is sort of the assumed norm? Yeah. Uh, the second one was, um, how can I make my house a refuge from the world? How can I cultivate peace in hmm. it? So those two questions. Those are good questions. I would say, well, for the for the first one, um, which is how do we hold one another accountable? Mm-hmm. The thing is, like, feminism is the assumed paradigm at every level in our modern Western society. And so I think there there needs to be a degree of grace because we it's the air we breathe and we don't know we're breathing it. Yeah. Like right now I'm breathing in air, but I have no and, and I would generally call it oxygen, but I don't know what mixture of 
toxins or poisonous things are in the air I'm breathing. I'm just breathing it. And if somebody came along and said, hey, do you know that, you know, you're breathing this or that thing in and it's doing harm to you? It's like, I wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. I, I think in, in the modern world, these things seep in and there, there needs to be grace as we remember and remind each other of feminist thinking. But we, we, it needs to be done in a way that I, th- I, think, I think for people that are, are kind of aware of it, um, it's, there, there's, there's a, it's an easy thing to be um, condescending um, and, and, to, and to be graceless and just people, I think people need the grace to know it's like, hey, oh, that's right. It, it, feminism and the ways that we think, or the ways that we think are so habit forming and it's, it's, it's instinctive, it's a reflex, it, it's, it's pre-conscious. It's just the natural thing that comes out of us the way we think. And so it's, it's a matter of training ourselves to think biblically over a lifetime and to, to cultivate different habits. And so I think gentle reminders, things like this, exposing ourselves to, to good thinking. So I, th- I would say there's a balance of two things that need to happen. One, on the one hand, we have a wealth of resources now that are available that, you know, it's a small little corner of the Christian market, but there's podcasts, there's books, there's blogs, there's resources that can support a a way of thinking that is more in line with what we've been talking about today, the goodness of masculinity, the goodness of femininity. So have a good steady diet of those solid resources. Um, and at the same time, like invite other people into it, but in, in such a way that gives people time, patience, knowing that um, they've got some feminism to repent of and it'll right. take time. Wade, Wade, you and I have talked about this so many times. Um, for me, it has been a slow process yeah. of just kind of unwinding that clock. Me too. And, and just learning. It's like I'm, I find myself frequently realizing, you know what, I, I, I haven't thought about this correctly. And I'm needing to constantly repent of false ways of thinking and be reminded that I, I need to receive God's grace for, for the ways that, you know, that I failed and that I, that I haven't thought properly. And so I, I think that for me, there's a, there's a grace that I have for other people, even though there's also a, um, a desire to pull people along also. And I'm like, hey, there's, there's a better way. Because a lot of times, like the things that we talk about on this podcast and the things we talked about maybe today... I think for some people, it's a breath of fresh air. It is like, thank you, I'm so glad. But these are people that are more conditioned and desire to think this way. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people, and we, we've heard we've heard from folks, there's a lot of people that the the reflex is, oh my God, that's horrible. I cannot believe they just said that. Um, and that it's because it's so counter what we're used to hearing every single day. So there's a, there's a need for grace, but also need to keep just moving the needle and I'm I'm hopeful. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I'm hopeful for for a lot of people that really do seem to be realizing what the fruit of feminism produces. Mm. It's it's ugliness. It is a world devoid of the feminine beauty that we've been celebrating today. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. I'll answer this one, and then I'll let you go first on the second one. <clears throat> my my counsel here on this one would be: you win people for the long run, for the long term, with delight. You might yeah. win them for the short term with fear and um, rebuke. Or, I mean, rebuke is a, is a good thing. I don't want to dismiss it, but if if we're talking about um, how do I get, how do I make a woman, my friend, or myself, or my sister, love actual femininity and not what feminism sells in the long term, 
giving them something to be joyful about and delighted in and excited about is going to be your friend more than chastisement. Right. So I would say celebrate absolutely every instance of good femininity in your friend Yeah. and ask them to do it for you. I can give a quick testimony about that. Yeah. Um, And if I can just use you as an example, Um, there are a number of families in our church that have sought you and your wife out for advice on uh, how you run your household. A lot of people, like your children are younger than mine, and so a lot of people that are, have children of the same age, they they see your discipline, they've seen um, the just the, the fruit of your house. Um, and I don't I don't mean to embarrass you because I know you're you, you want to be a modest man and humble, but 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 I can, I can say that, that there are people that have sought you out for that counsel, and it's not because they have felt judged and frowned upon and condescended to by you. Hope not. It is because they see your wife's happy, your children are happy. And when the Thomas family shows up, there, there is joy that enters the church building when your family shows up. That, I think, is a testimony. And it's, I know you're flawed, and um, yeah, I, I see am. the look on your face. I think you're kind of like... <laughs> I'm always uncomfortable with that kind of thing. Um, yeah, and I, I'm not... I, I, this, is, this is not flattery. I know, I know. This, I is, know. this is sincere testimony, that, but that is, that is a good thing. And I'm saying that not to brag on Wade for the purpose of the podcast, but as, as I, I can attest to the truthfulness of what you're saying... Yeah. People desire the joy that they see. And that, that, so that's the point. Yeah, the point is, and I, I do, I receive that and I appreciate it, but I, I learned that from other people. I learned it from my dad. My, my dad won me back to the faith in my prodigal phase. I'm a Calvinist. I didn't lose my salvation. Don't freak out on me. But I had a prodigal phase where I went wayward. What drew me back was my father's joy and his warmth and his delight. So for you women who are wondering, okay, how can we help each other fan this flame of actual femininity? Anytime you see your sister in Christ, um, I mean, man, when I see women holding their little kids and they may not, you know, there's something with childcare and nothing's wrong with childcare, but they, you know what, I'm going to hold my baby. Mm-hmm. Maybe he had a rough day today. I'm just going to hold her and kind of stroke her hair. Celebrate that. Send her a text later and say, I, yeah. that was so tender. I saw you, I saw you holding mm-hmm. little, you know. Yeah, we had a, we had a members meeting at our church uh, a couple of days ago and we talked about, you know, referenced a few times babies and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. The church erupts in applause. Yeah, because it's it is a it has become a more of a cultural thing where we see babies as a good thing. This yes. is new life that God has brought into our church, and it's not some weird cult sort of you know you got to have you know seventeen right. babies. It is just we delight in life, and right. you Plato said a culture cultivates what it honors. When you honor femininity, motherhood, like true like godly femininity, when you see it, and you might celebrate them. Like it's, I'm so. I'm so overjoyed to see this thing. Yeah, that it's it's a positive reward. It it's, yes. it is celebrating and showing the goodness of that. Yes. So send text messages, send emails, uh, send a good comment. Make it make a culture in your little friend circle or your church circle or your family circle of celebrating biblical femininity, godly femininity. You see softness. You see a woman going the extra mile. You see a woman, even though she's tired, she's got dark circles under her eyes. She's just loving that baby, and she's just holding him. And send her, send her some. And you, yeah. and that is that is Encourage a good way right them. there. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Be what the culture won't be. Be what Disney won't be for you. That's right. Good. Um, okay. Last one was uh, so. How can I make my house a refuge from the world? I'll let you go first because I'll make my answer our our ending point and our note of hope. How can I make my house a refuge from the world? Or, and how can I cultivate peace in my home? 
Yeah. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is the same answer to the last one. It is a, your house will be a refuge to the world if your house is a, is a joyful place to be. Um, and that doesn't mean that there's, you know, the absence of conflict or that there's never discipline. Of course, those things happen. Um, but if, if the emotional tone, the, if the temperature is set at a joyful setting, um, and that, that can be a discipline Mm -hmm. and, you know, I can be grouchy, I can be moody. So it's like that it, it is a discipline that, you know, and I fail in a lot of ways, but I think that a, I think my children enjoy being home mm-hmm. and they enjoy being around one another. They enjoy being around my wife and me. And that, that, that is the strongest apologetic, I think from, um, the messaging of the world. But, and, and I do think it, it doesn't happen automatically because the, the, the difference has to be highlighted. So whenever we do see or hear things that are incongruent with scripture, especially on these issues where the, the, the messaging is so thick and the opposition yeah. is so intense, um, we point it out. It's like we talk about, I'm like, like how my kids know that it's silly to see, you know, Scarlett Johansson yeah. throw around some 300 pound muscular dude. Yeah. They, they know that's silly, but we're like, it's, we're, we're able to dismiss it while discerning it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that has been a, a, a good way to, to help our family discern these things. Praise God. Uh, so I would say the best way, the best way to do this, um, your house will be more peaceful and more ordered. It'll be more like Eden through your feminine faith. Your faith is not supposed to be your husband's. Mm-hmm. There is a particular, uh, there's a particular aroma to my wife's faith that my kids need, and that when it's present, the household flourishes. Uh, she brings a, a different way of singing the song. She brings a different way of reading the Bible story. She brings a different kind of prayer. She, she, she. There is a. There is a kind of Mary Magdalene quality, a kind of Esther Ruth quality that your faith, uh, female listener, woman listener, mom, sister, daughter, is going to bring to your household. So if you're a mom, and that's primarily the question, you know, how do I make my household more peaceful? Is These are mostly moms who are going to be thinking this, wives and moms. Trust Yahweh, believe in Jesus in a feminine way, and be comfortable in that feminine faith with all of the qualities of life nourishing and beautifying that, that, the, that femininity has in it. Um, when, when, I, when I open up the Bible, when I go home tonight, we're going to be, uh, we're in Haggai, and I read the Bible to my kids, and I'm going to explain to them the passage or whatever. If my wife asks a question, or if the kids ask her a question, or even as she's holding Azariah and she's scratching his back as I read the Bible story, all of the things that she brings to it make our household more peaceful. Uh, they make our household more godly. And she, I want her to be comfortable in that and to not try to have masculine faith or try to be something other than mom, mm-hmm. wife, Christian mom, Christian wife. If you can do that, if you can employ feminine faith in your house, I think your household will be more peaceful because Eden was at most peace once Eve was added to it. Amen. Be encouraged, men and women. Love masculinity, love femininity, because you love the God who made both. <laughs>